We're going to continue in our series in in Romans. Um, Paul begins chapter 2 as if he's dialoguing with someone. Uh, Many Bible scholars believe that that Paul's uh, foe, so to speak, is uh, is a Jew. In fact, his listener represents the Jews. Um, All righteous Jews would have read chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 1, when it talked about all those sins, they would have said, that's right. They deserve to be judged. And then they would have said, and every single one of those Gentiles deserve to be judged as well. That's just the way, what they thought. Um, the Jews saw themselves as the chosen of God, which they were. But because they were God's chosen, they believed that they were privileged and would not face God's judgment. Well, they were wrong. So we need to keep that in mind as we look at chapter 2. Remember, um, Paul's thinking he's got a listener there. Many of us are like Paul's listeners. We're pretty good at categorizing sin. You know, we, we, we say, well, somebody just told a fib. That's okay, but uh, we'll, we'll overlook it. But if they're a thief or if they stole from us, that's a big sin. That's a bad sin. Or we kind of say it's okay if, if men have wandering eyes as long as they don't touch. Look, but don't touch. But if somebody has a, an affair, cheats on their wife, that's a bad sin. Or we'll condemn Hitler, but we'll elect a politician that lies. Um, what about this? How many of you know the name of Jeffrey Dahmer? Remember that name? He was a psychopathic killer that, that cannibalized many of his victims. After a 13-year can, cannibal, excuse me, after a 13-year killing spree in 1991, he was caught, tried, and condemned to life in prison. But reportedly, according to biographers, Right before he died, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, one biographer wrote very sarcastically, and I'm going to read from this article. Throughout Dahmer's life, he was an accomplished liar. And there's no indication in his discussions that he has arrived at any profound insight about what he did. The appearance is this. Dahmer killed 17 young men, violating their bodies. He deprived his victims of their lives and their families of their loved ones. And with baptism, he learns he can undo all that and still get to heaven. What a deal. Now, I don't know whether Dahmer was saved or not. I don't have any idea. But this author expressed the sentiment that many people have. If somebody has committed terrible, gross sins, they shouldn't be forgiven. And if anybody that has an attitude like that is just like our listener in chapter 2. Now, last week I shared an an analogy of, excuse me, two weeks ago, I shared an analogy of four brothers that Paul talks about in Romans, uh, throughout the book of Romans. We saw the first one in Romans 1. Now, well, let me just back up about the four brothers. The four brothers rebelled against their father. They didn't listen to what they said. He said, he told them, stay away from the river and, and Day by day by day, they got closer to the river until one day when I'm stuck his hand in, the, the force of the river pulled him in along with three of his brothers that were holding him. 
They ended up far away from the Father. So they decided they'd build a fire, and every day they would gather to talk about the fire and their older brother. Eventually, the oldest brother, excuse me, eventually one of the brothers stopped coming to the fire, and he joined those that were around him. He represents those that, that have joined the world and will face the wrath of God. Then the second brother condemned the world. He, we find him that he built a hut on a hill overlooking his older brother and his other brother, and he was writing down all the things that he had done that were wrong. And he says, boy, I'm so much better than he is. Then the third brother was the one that decided, well, dad's not sending anybody to come after me. I'm going to work my way back to, to the father. And then the fourth one continued to come day, day by day to the fire to wait for somebody to come. These are the four men that, that, that we find in, in the book of Romans. This week, we're going to focus on that second brother, the one that was with the, with the notebook overlooking and uh, his, his brother's sins and saying, compared to him, my sins are nothing. The second brother is like those that will look at somebody like Hitler or Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer and say, you know, God shouldn't forgive them, but I'm so much better, they should forgive me. They, they agree that, that people like Dahmer and Hitler should deserve the wrath of God, but not me. So that's who we're going to look at today. So stand in, in honor of the Word of God, and we're going to read beginning with Romans chapter 2. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you really think, any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you... Do you despise the riches of His kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to His works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobeying the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. All who sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So when Gentiles, who, but, who do not by nature have the law, do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret, according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us, to it. And pray, Father, that as your spirit deals in our heart today, that we would respond to you. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, Paul's pretty direct. He comes right out the barrel and says, you know, you're judging other people and you do the same thing. Now, the whole idea behind this message, I think we find in the teachings of Jesus. If you look at Luke 18, Jesus told a parable about a man who could have been a poster child for Roman chapter 2. Uh, he says that his listeners, well, this is the way Luke described Jesus' listeners, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Well, Jesus told about these two men who went to pray. One, he said, was a self-righteous Pharisee. The other was a tax collector. Now, we know the Pharisees were a religious sect of the, group of the Jews. They were known for their strict adherence to the law and to their rules on the law. In fact, they would write a rule about the law. This is the way you're supposed to obey it. And then they'd write a rule about the rule and then a rule about the rule. And they got a long ways away from the law. Anyway, uh, they, they prayed three times a day at the hour of prayer. 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. I don't know who said that was the, the hours of prayer, but that's when they prayed. And they were often conveniently at prominent places so people could see them pray because they prayed out loud. And Jesus said, this is the way this guy prayed. Luke 18, 11 says, The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. Did you catch that? He was praying about himself. Other translations you say uh, praying to himself, but both were good translations. Anyway, he says, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, we know the tax collectors were the whipping boys of the Pharisees. They didn't like them because they worked for Rome. They considered them just to be sinners just because they associated with the Romans. He says, I'm not even like that guy. And I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of everything I get. And I think he, his prayer probably went on and on and on and on. Jesus cut him off because that already made his point. Then Jesus said, but the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, Jesus' conclusion comes next, and it would have surprised everybody that was listening because remember, these were the people that sought to justify themselves, thought they were better. Jesus said, I tell you, this one, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. We'll call this Pharisee a self-righteous judger, just like Paul's listener. You know, uh, there are people just like that in the world today. Now, in chapter 1, remember, Paul dealt with the openly sinful. The one in chapter 2 that Paul's describing would have been right there saying, yeah, they deserve to be condemned. But you know what they would do? They wouldn't look at their own sin. They would, they would be somebody who would say, you know, I'm not like the savage. I don't worship animals. I'm a normal person. 
I don't speak or spit or smoke or chew or run around with folks that do. I don't drink or cheat on my wife. I don't kick my dog. I don't beat my kids. I'm a good person. Therefore, God cannot condone me, uh, condemn me, excuse me, like He does those sinners. But God, He's sin. All sin. It doesn't matter whether it's the guy that's looking or the guy that's doing. Sin is sin. And God condemns the judger. That word judger from our text means to, to act on a stage or play actor. How many of y'all, when you were in school, were ever in a play? Some of you were. Some of you were. I was... I was uh, Pyramus. Pyramus, excuse me, I was Tom Southeast Tinker. He played Pyramus in, in the play. In Midsummer Night's Dream, there was a play within the play. And here was my role. I was Tom Snout the Tinker. I was a chink in the wall through which Pyramus looked through. Great role, right? I had to dress up to be a piece of the wall. I had bricks tied around my neck. That's all I remember. But play actors play a part. They're not being who they really were. I really wasn't a wall. My name may be Stone, but I'm not a wall. Can you imagine actors in Shakespeare's day, even the women were men? All the actors were men. And so how did the men with these heavy beards look like women? They wore a mask. They wore a mask. And that's what that word judger means. Somebody that wears a mask. By the way, that word, the, the definition, definition of the word hypocrite is the same as the word judger. Although Paul didn't use that word in the text. A judger is someone who represents what they're not. Uh, and so Paul in our text describes the judger. So look with me. Hope, hopefully you'll keep your Bibles open to Romans 1, or excuse me, Romans 2. Um, Paul says about the judger, he's without excuse. Because when you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. You ever, you ever have someone tell you when you're pointing a finger at somebody, you're pointing three back at yourself? Well, that's what Paul's saying here. Uh, this, this man, this judger, looks at the sins of the world and determines in his own mind that their sins are much worse than his own. He may even be indignant at the sins of somebody else and overlook the ones in his own life. And so he, he, he thinks he's safe from judgment, but Paul says they're really without excuse. Uh, One of the reasons that we're encouraged to live a, a godly life is because there are people that look at the church, look at Christians and say, you know, I'm better than they are. They're just a bunch of hypocrites because they say one thing and do something else. Maybe we are. I don't know. I'm a hypocrite sometimes. But, but we're good about justifying our sin. For example... Uh, and, and, and looking at the sins of others. Uh, we 
are driving down the road and somebody goes flying around, zoom! And we'll say, man, they are driving so dangerous. And then we look down at the speedometer, we're going five, seven miles an hour. Oh, that's okay. What? Or somebody goes through a red light. I, uh, I, all my illustrations are about cars because I, I don't like bad drivers. But um, Somebody goes through a red light, but how many times do we speed up going through that yellow light? Anyway, um, many in the lost world justify their actions saying, I don't need the church, I don't need God, I don't need Jesus, I'm just as good as anybody else. I don't need the religion of the church or their salvation. Save those who need it, not for me. And you know what? Jesus said, I see your actions, but I see your heart. In, in Luke chapter 16, verse 15, uh, Jesus said, you're those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. And then a few, uh, few verses later, he says, the good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth what's good. And the evil man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth what's evil. For his mouth speaks from what is good. In other words, David says, God looks at our heart. Now, remember with me back to the Old Testament. Remember the first king of Israel was who? Saul. Saul. He was the first king of Israel. Saul. God rejected him. Saul was disobedient. God, Saul's heart was bad. Why was Saul chosen anyway? I think God gave him the kind of king they wanted. I mean, he was a tall man, head and shoulders taller than anybody else, and he was strong and he was good looking. He's the kind of a guy that they would have picked for a king. But Saul had a big flaw. He had a bad heart. Not that it was weak, or, but it was sinful. And he didn't obey God. And so God told Samuel, I want you to go and point a, anoint one of David's, excuse me, one of Jesse's sons to be king. And so he lined all of them up there and, and, and he went before the first one and a good looking man, strong. And God says, he's not the one all the way down. Got through all of them, and God says, not one of them. And Samuel says, I know that God said one of these was going to be the, the king. And so he said to Jesse, is there not another? Oh, yeah, there's David. He's just a youth. Well, call him in here. And here's what God told Samuel. Men don't see what the Lord sees. For man sees what's visible. But the Lord sees the heart. God looks at man's heart, and that's why He judges. Or that's how He judges. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You've heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother, shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, 
shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. We may hide our sins, but God says, I look at your heart. And so that's what He's saying to this judger. It's not your actions, it's your heart. You do your actions out of your heart. And then in verse 4 it says, do you despise the riches of His kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? He says the sinner forgets that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He forgets that God loves him. He forgets that sin separates from him from God. He forgets that the wages of sin is death. He forgets that the only way to eternal life is by confessing our sin and surrendering our life to Jesus. Paul said God's kindness should lead men to repentance, not to say, okay, I'm better, so I don't need Him. Throughout history, there have been many good men with high morals that have said, I don't need God. F.F. Bruce, who was a Scottish uh, Bible scholar, told about a man by the name of Seneca. You may have heard of Seneca. He was a philosopher in the time of Paul. And he quoted Seneca in one of his books. Uh, Seneca might have heard and agreed with Paul's indictment of the wicked when he wrote, yes, that's perfectly true of the great masses of mankind, and I concur in the judgment which you pass on them. But there are others, of course, like myself, who deploy these tendencies as much as they do. Now, Seneca had high morals. He would, have, he would have agreed with Paul had he heard Paul, but he never thought he needed Jesus to die for his sins, and so he rejected God's, God's love. And then Paul says in, in verses 5 and 6 that because of the stubbornness of men's hearts, they don't receive Christ. Several years ago, uh, I had in my golf ball a collection and I do have a collection in my office. You can go look at it sometime. But I, uh, I had a golf ball that said, um, I'm going to make sure I get this right, I once was lost, but now I'm found. The man that gave it to me told me that he would go to the golf courses of Tulsa and, and they'd allow him to go in and, and he'd get golf balls that had been lost. I'm sure I gave him a lot of them. So anyway, he would get them and and he used them as witnessing tools. And, and he told me about the man that printed them for him. He said he'd go get them, he'd clean them up, and he'd take them to this printer, and he would imprint it on him that his, his logo. I once was lost, but now is found. He said he shared the gospel with a man, but the man said this, um, I'll call you when I need you. But the man was dying of lung cancer and liver cancer, and he had a short life expectancy and refused to re- repent. When I saw that that passage there in verse 5, lost, dying, uh, but refusing to accept Jesus, I thought of this man. And then I thought of another man. The church I pastored many years ago, he was the father of one of our deacons, a very good man, a very moral man, a well-liked man, but lost. And many had been to the house to visit with him. He had a godly wife, sweet little wife. Many had been to share with him. Well, he got sick. 
And in God's providential timing, I got to be there and share the gospel with him. He says, that's what I want. That's what I need. You see, even the judger can come to a place of repentance. So we don't need to give up. The judger faces the wrath of God. They face God's judgment. But God's desire is not to judge anyone. God's desire is that all men be saved. And God is patient. Why has Christ not come back for 2,000 years? Because He's waiting and waiting and waiting for people to come into the kingdom. And at the right time, He'll come back. Well, Paul talks about, goes from talking about who the judger is to what he's like, what he's going to face. Paul says there in verse 6 to 8, He will repay each one according to his works, eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth. There are a lot of people that that think that what Paul's saying here is that if you just live a good enough life, you'll get into heaven. Because he talks about the fact that, that according to their works, eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good, uh, they'll have life. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying if you have life, if you know Jesus, it's going to affect the way you live. How do I know that? Just a few verses later, a few chapters later, Paul says this, there is none righteous. No, not one. That's a quote from Isaiah 53.1, by the way. And then he quoted from Psalm 14.3, there is no one who does good. So Paul's saying, no, it's not just how you live that results, but what's in your heart. If you're saved, it'll, re- it'll change the way you live. Does that make sense? Well, let me say that again. You don't go to heaven by living a good life. You go to heaven by following Jesus, surrendering your life to Jesus, and He'll change the way you live. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. All things, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Christ changes us. And that's what Paul's saying. Those who live a live good life, doing good, seeking for God's glory and honor and eternal life, are those changed by Christ. In Romans 2.8, Paul says that those who are lost in their sins are self-seeking and disobeyers of the truth. They live for self and not God. And that don't obey the truth. You know, we live in a day of situational ethics. You know what that means? We let the, the situation determine the ethic. And there are people that will condone evil if they say, well, you know, in the end it's going to be for good. Well, the Bible didn't teach that. Um, and in verses 9 and 10, there will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also the Greeks, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what's good, first to the Jew and also the Greek. There's no favoritism with God. So Jesus described hell as a place of suffering. That's what Paul says. Those who don't know Jesus, a life of suffering. What did he talk about? An eternity of suffering, excuse me. So what did he talk about? it? He says that hell's a place of weeping, a place of suffering, 
a place of gnashing of teeth. And I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I, my idea is people that missed out on something are just in agony over it. I remember when I didn't make the baseball team. I hurt, but I think missing eternity in heaven with the Lord will be even worse. Because I, I think one of the worst things about hell is that God is not there and people will remember all the opportunities they had to receive Jesus Christ. And so the nation of teeth is the fact that they missed out on that eternity that God promised. But Paul goes on to say, for those who are saved, glory and honor and peace, what a way to describe heaven when we spend eternity in the Lord's presence. We'll walk the streets of gold. We'll bow before God's throne and we'll worship Him there. Because God says His judgment is not discriminating. There's no favoritism with God. Romans 10, 13, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's promise. All. But all without Christ shall be judged. Both the Jew and the Gentile. That's what he says here. And he's going back to the fact that even the judger is going to face that judgment. And the basis of judgment is truth. Paul talks about the fact that, that the Jews have an advantage because they have the law, so they'll be judged according to the law. The, the Gentiles don't have the law, but God's dealt with their conscience. God's put in their heart that there is a God. We, we saw that uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so they'll be judged by that. But all without Christ will be separated eternally. Now, The last thing that Paul says in verse 16 is that God judges what people have, have kept secret according to the gospel through Jesus Christ. Paul says there's going to be a judgment. And there's only hope for eternal life for those who trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There was a condemned criminal And he was facing his death, his execution. And he cried out for mercy. If he had cried out for mercy from the people, they would have rejected him. Had he asked for it from the government, it would have been denied. If he had asked for mercy from his victims, they would have said no. Instead, this condemned criminal who was facing his death turned to the bloody form of the one who was on the cross next to his and pleaded, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus granted him mercy. He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Paul says this man, his listener, this, this person in, in chapter 2, is one who looks at his life and says, I don't need Jesus because I'm as good as anybody else. Paul says, he will be condemned. But if there comes a time in his life 
when he realizes that he can't do it on his own and he trusts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he surrenders his life to Christ, he will have eternity. For the judger, judgment. For the repentant, forgiveness and eternal life. Father, thank you for the life that we have in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus went to the cross and paid the way that we might have eternal life. Thank you, Father, that that offer is to all. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But all who reject Jesus shall be judged, condemned eternally. Father, I thank You that most of us here can say we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because there was a time in our life when we realized that we were sinners separated from God. We realized that, that the wages of sin is eternal separation from You, death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so we surrendered our life to Jesus. And we have eternal life. And I praise You for them. But Father, I'm also praying for those that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Whether they're here in the congregation or they'll watch it later on, on the webpage on Facebook Live. I pray for them, Father, that they'd stop looking at their life and saying, I am this good, and compare their life to Jesus and see that we are sinners. And that they'll repent of their sin and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So whether they're here in the congregation or they on the video, I pray that they would trust Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for dealing in our hearts today. And as your Spirit deals in us, Father, may we respond to you. May we do what you call upon us to do. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.